0: Hi, I'm Kat. And I'm Emma. If you love the Dead Prank podcast, you can help support its future using the ACAST supporter feature.
1: Now, it's up to you how much you give and there is no regular commitment. So if you can and you want to, please do hit the link in the show description to support now. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well,
0: Hi, you're listening to the DPC podcast, the podcast where we talk about all things dead parent, the good, the bad, and the banter, hosted by Sam and Kat. So with us today, we have a gentleman that contacted us on social media wanting to get involved. And he's actually just told us that he found out about the podcast through our little interview that we had on BBC Radio Nottingham, which is super exciting. So yeah, if you'd like to introduce yourself.
3: All right guys, I'm Chris. Uh, originally from so like Bristol, South West area and I've been in up in Nottingham for the past three and a half, four months now.
0: Fun fact about Chris is that he recently moved to Nottingham but has actually well is actually now moving to the town where Sam is from. New work, new work. <laughs> Don't think I've ever heard anybody be so excited
1: over Newark before in my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like, oh, no, you would have known. I was going to say, do you remember nights out when we were in Newark, but you wouldn't because you're not from
0: there? Well, Sam, Sam, we went on one night out together and it was an absolute shambles.
1: <laughs> I got far too drunk. Well, we used to we used to always like storm around Newark and be like NG24. Say NG24.
0: That God. can be you
1: now, Chris. You can be
0: storming around Newark singing <laughs> NG24.
3: NG24 represent.
1: <laughs> look what you've got! Fresh to look forward to. <laughs> no,
3: can't wait. Bring it on.
0: Sam, <laughs> so I'm just I'm just thinking about that Night Out and do you remember it we ruined we the Mackeys at like three in the morning and we were just absolutely <laughs> <laughs> Is that the one the we
4: sat in
1: that Mackey's. Yes <laughs> yeah. We were sat in that Mackeys for about oh, for about an hour it closed it closed and we were in there. Yes, it did. But then the guy, the guy who was working there, really fancied cat, so he let us go in there when they were closed.
3: Blimey, who'd have thought of having a Mackie D's lock in? Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, we 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 live the dream, Chris.
4: <laughs> oh, I love it. Can't wait.
1: <laughs>
0: anyway, we digress. Um, yeah. So this is of course the parent club podcast so you obviously have some sort of affiliation with the DPC um would you please like to tell us your story and it can be in as much detail as you like just yeah just from start to finish we'll probably interrupt you for questions anyway
3: yeah it's alright um well I've been a member as much as I probably didn't want to be part of the club since (laughs) November 2010 uh turned out mum had, ca- mum had cancer and became terminal and, yeah, it's like she had a, I think it was like about, probably about the, the year, like a year earlier, like in November 2009, December 2009, where she went to a, went to a doctor's complaining of like a, sort of like a numb pain in her leg and I think she'd sort of like, this like homeopathic treatment, like those, warm those lavender bags in the microwave and, tried using that, but turned out it was a tumour in a leg. Obviously, had it removed via surgery in about the January, February 2010. Um, Same thing with my dad when he had an operation to remove a tumour from behind his ear. In touch with, he's, he's all fine now. Um, but obviously, I had to check if it was cancerous or not, but yeah, turned out with mum it was. And then Got given the option of treatment and therapy and yeah, so it's like started off doing chemo um, where like one cycle was like day one was like a full cycle day day eight was like half half the like half the amount and then day fifteen was like a day off just to give her body a bit of a break. Um, yeah. The idea was to do like six cycles with like a chat, with like a review. After the third cycle, uh, yeah, the review came, chemo was working, the chemo was reacting to it, like going down and whatever, and there was no reason not to carry on. So, yeah, carried on the chemo rounds four, five, six came and went, and you could sort of visibly see that it was taking its toll on mum. So, like, obviously, like hair started coming out, you could see that she was getting. Visibly tired and whatever, but still was going about her daily daily business as as she did. And then came the review after the sixth cycle, and it was the news that no one wanted. Uh, Turned out the cancer had resisted, and yeah, it's like it sort of like hit everyone really hard. Um, And then yeah, I went for the there was like some kind of like new treatment being sort of done at the Royal Marsden hospital down to like London way and it was one of the yeah it was like it was one of those things where it was like a trial trial treatment just to see if it would work. Um unfortunately that didn't work and doctors told my dad that she had weeks to live and then obviously told me and my sister who were pretty much on the verge of having a mental breakdown um morning like the morning after the doctor said to dad like we're really sorry we told we know we told you she had weeks to live yesterday but by the looks of it it's got days and this was like uh, mid to late October and obviously we wanted her to, to be sort of closer to home um so just so, so that like friend like friends and family come see her in her final days. Um mm. Mm. but yeah, fair shout to her. She was like an absolute fighter to the end and she survived uh for an extra two and a half weeks and mm. yeah because I, I, I the day or the, the day that she passed was Saturday the thirteenth. Reason I remember it is because England were playing Australia in the rugby and England absolutely tonked the Aussies um, and
4: <laughs> yeah, it
3: was just one of those things where like I was about to go to bed at sort of, like 10 o'clock at night next thing, next thing I know my phone goes and it's dad I'm thinking oh what does he want um, you literally onto the phone and literally you could tell in his voice that it was the worst news possible saying mm-hmm. Chris look I'm sorry but she's gone and usually, with any form of news, it takes me a minute to process it. And, yeah, when he said that, I literally just broke down in tears because it's no matter who you are, I mean, you guys obviously know how it feels losing a parent as well, but it, it feels like your world's just come crashing down around you. If you
0: didn't mind me
4: asking, how old
3: were you? I was 20 and my sister was 18. Oh. I mean, what made it worse is that the following May, I turned 21, and if Mum had survived until then, she would have turned 50.
0: That's a... (sighs) Wait, Wait. because she was 49?
3: Yeah, she was literally six months away from turning 50.
1: Welcome to the 49 club. Wow. So... Mine and Kat, so my dad was 49 when he died, and I was 20, nearly 21, so that's freaky as it is. Kat's mum died when she was 49.
0: I was 20. Kat, how old were you? I was 20, not quite
2: 21.
1: Yeah, and we also spoke to a lady last week, um, whose podcast will be out next week, I think, or the week after, um, and her mum was also 49. No No shit.
3: That's yeah, wow. I, I, I think I think what made it worse, I think for me, looking back at it now, because obviously hindsight's probably the biggest bastard in the world. <laughs> um, I think I think it took me a lot longer to learn how to grieve because not only did my mum die on the, on that Saturday. My dad's also a member of the club as well, because the Monday of that week, his dad died of cancer as well.
4: Oh. So it's like,
3: not, it's like we lost two key family members in the space of six six days. And I'm not sure if it's just me or if it's like a, a thing that men do in general, but I sort of had to keep, I had to force myself to keep together, not only for my dad, I had to be there for my sister, I had to be there for my for my aunt, who was my mum's older sister, and I had to be there for my nan, who lost her husband yeah. of like fifty plus years' marriage, and her, and her daughter-in-law, and it's like it took me a long time just to admit that I needed help, and I needed like the time and space to just to sort of understand what had happened. I'm um, just
0: taking it back to when your mum died and stuff, was that was she in a hospice at that yeah, point? Yeah, she was
3: at, yeah, in a hospice down um down uphill near which is in Weston.
0: Okay. So is that was that close to where you were at the time? Yeah, yeah. it was
3: probably at best half an hour, forty minutes tops one yeah. way. So she was like definitely close to home and yeah there was always at least one of us like either me my dad or my sister just always there at her side and whatever and um
4: yeah
3: yeah like obviously friends came and went as they as as they wanted to and even my aunt came down from Nottingham for a few hours just to spend some time with her before because obviously it's like a nearly a three-hour trip one way from Nottingham down to sort of Bristol western area and Yeah,
0: I mean, amazing that she managed to hang on for those like two and a half weeks to kind of have that time to say, like, speak to family members and stuff.
3: Yeah, I think as time went on, I think due to the medication and due to due to the cancer, she was like, there were times where she was hallucinating and saying things to people who weren't there. Oh, well, she thought yeah. she was there, but only in her, in her mind and whatever.
0: Do you know what any of like the weirdest things it was that she said?
3: Uh, I mean, I wasn't really aware of it just because obviously looking at my mum like that, I just really wasn't focusing. But yeah.
4: something,
3: that sister, something that my sister said to me not long after she passed and whatever, I mean, apparently she, my mum wanted to talk, talk to my sister on, on her own. So it's got me and my dad out of the room and whatever. And apparently, my mum said to Chloe, um, "Look after those two, will you?"
4: Being me and my dad, and
3: like, it's as, as much as it's a nice thing to say. I think, I think it's a lot she's my sister had, had a fair bit on her plate as well, given
1: yeah.
3: what's happened and whatever. So.
1: Yeah, it's always a tricky one. On the um note of her like hallucinating and stuff, because I remember that being one thing that I really didn't expect and didn't know about was like the side effects of all the other drugs that they give them. Because yeah. I like my dad went like absolutely insane for a few nights. Like it literally just sent him like literally insane, and he was just a completely different person. Like you say, like hallucinating and he was, like, trying to run away from the hospice and, like, just couldn't – he didn't understand, like, who anyone was. Yeah. And I that – was, that was one thing that really shocked me because I just expected him to just just quietly disappear, like, as in, like, into himself, just lay in his bed. But then all of a sudden he was this, like, po- almost, like, possessed person.
3: Yeah. It
1: was – I think – my mum my definitely
0: wasn't quite there. She didn't do any kind of major, like, I think your dad, Sam, was something else, the way that he was trying to run away and stuff. But with my mum, the one thing that stands out to me is when um she was she went to me, she went, make sure you drink lots of milk. And I was like, what for, mum? And she went, you know, for, for pregnancy, make sure you drink lots of milk. I was like, right, okay, thanks mum, but that's not really very applicable right now, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> right, nice bit of advice there. <laughs> drink lots of milk. And to be fair, I've actually done the complete opposite now and don't drink any milk, but... <laughs> <I> was going <laughs> to say. <laughs> Bless her. But it is, it's, it's those things I think that nobody warns you about at all. I think... People are you're very very sheltered. What to expect? I think when somebody is dying, like
1: very sheltered. Mm, Agreed. So, Chris, were you living at home at the time?
3: Yeah. um, Yeah. It turned out like when Mum was doing, like was going through a treatment or ever. Both Chloe and I were like, were sort of getting ready to go to uni. I mean, I was staying at home and commuting to North Bristol every, like every day. And my, my sister was literally going off to Southampton just to, to, for, for her degree. Um, but yeah, like uh, any, uh, any chance she got to come home, she was, she was literally straight on that first train home and whatever and home pretty much every weekend. And yeah, I think I think it was it was tough on Chloe just because she was like a couple of hours away on the train, and I was still, I mean luckily enough I was still living with my dad, so when it came down to it, we both had somebody at home to sort of talk to, if and when we needed it.
1: Was your dad the kind of person that would talk about it, or was it quite difficult for you both to? How to start that conversation?
3: I think, uh, yeah, I I found it was pretty difficult to talk to each other about it, just because, yeah, it's just really hard because, like, I I don't think any of us any of us knew how to start that particular conversation. It's like, yes, mum's dying. I don't know how to feel about it, you don't know how to feel about it, and we just sort of we yeah. It's just it's really difficult to try and convey how we were feeling to each other, probably just because mm. we're both blokes and generally men don't really talk about how they're feeling to the same yeah. degree as what women do.
4: Yeah.
0: So you you mentioned earlier that it took you a while to learn how to grieve properly, like what was that like for you? When when did you kind of realise that you really hadn't dealt with it, and like there were things that you had to sort of process?
3: I think it was maybe two, three years after Mama died. I mean, I it was one of those things where I was just like, I I've not long moved out. Um, well, moved out, uh, not. Just before three years of the anniversary of Mum passing, no, it's about no. Just after three years, I mean, I moved out the family home December two thousand and thirteen, and it wasn't until about one night late two thousand and fourteen where I just had this really bad sense of I, uh, I'm really not right in the head things are pretty dark, deep, I wanted to do some really bad stuff to myself and
4: mm.
3: it took quite a lot of courage to admit to myself that I needed help and I was literally on the on another verge of having a breakdown. I was literally in tears and, yeah, if it wasn't, if I, did, if I hadn't emailed the Samaritans and reached out to say to them, look, I need help. Oh wow! I probably, I probably wouldn't be uh, having this conversation with you. Wow. I was in That's that re- much. I was in that much of a really bad place.
4: Mm.
3: I did think about ending it.
0: That's an- another thing. I d- I don't think there's enough support given after a bereavement and enough awareness given the fact that bereavement so often leads to suicidal thoughts, like and it's i think because i i can completely relate to you here now chris because i struggled a lot with my mental health after my mum died and luckily for me i don't think i reached the same point that you did where you know i i was literally kind of ready to um yeah. to end to end my life but i had thought about it a lot of times more than anybody should have to and yeah, I
4: know,
3: and I think I think that's the problem still today. I mean, society nowadays I think has gotten better in the eight in just the over the eighties since Mum died, but I still think there's that stigma around men, especially that society states that they should be like the, the, this big macho, yeah. don't show any emotion, sort of person where realistically there needs to be that thing where men need to realize that it's okay to open up and express feelings that you may not have been able to express say like 20, 30 years ago.
0: I find it stupid because at the end of the day, we're all human. We're all biologically made of the same things. Yeah, so exactly. We're all allowed to deal with grief and or any kind of mental illness in the same way. Just because if you're a man or a woman doesn't mean that you're gonna de- doesn't mean you're gonna have different emotional connections to things. So, yeah, I completely agree where you're coming from there. I think it's the amount of support out there for men. I don't th- do think there's enough of it right now. Which is it's so good that you come onto this podcast to talk about that though, because that's something that I yeah. think we really really need to highlight through doing this.
3: Yeah, so I, I, I think I think it's also one of the things where I just want to sort of help, like me, just 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 have the chance of telling my story. And if there's anyone out there listening to it, and say, you know what, this guy is he, what he's been through is exactly what I'm going through. I mean, if in, even if this conversation we're, ha- we're having we're having now helps just one person listening to it, then at least I've done some part in helping out.
0: And I think even Sam and I are surprised sometimes by the amount of messages that we get from people who, you know, have just found us like organically and have been like, I can relate to everything that you're saying so much. Like it's helping me so much through stuff. And that that that's what makes this platform so valuable, I think. Yeah. You know, it's, it's real stories from real people and, it makes such a difference, I think, because people don't feel like they're on their own. Yeah, definitely.
4: Yeah.
0: So what did that look like for you then, like after you reached out for help? What were the steps that you took after that to kind of progress and see a future again?
3: Uh, I think it was just like, obviously, some Alton sort of came back and said, look, we're Sorry to hear that you're feeling this way. Please don't do anything stupid. Um, they put me in contact with uh, with Cree's bereavement counsellors.
0: Ah, oh, yes. And um, sorry. Come on, carry on. I'll um, I'll talk to you about this later. <laughs> yeah,
3: and then it's like I sort of then like rang them, explained the same situation to them, and yeah, within uh, within. I think I think that there was a bit of a like bit of a queue due to sort of, like the the level of demand that they were having at the time. But yeah, the start of two thousand and fifteen, I sort of had to. I sort of had to sort of try and work it around work because at the time I was working at Bristol Airport in security. Mm. But fortunately enough, the slot that I'd been given, I only needed to take like one one day off. Just to try and get to go to it, and the management were pretty good with it. They said, "Look, yeah, give us the dates, and we'll work work around it." Um, and then, yeah, I had uh, six weeks counselling, and I think I think it did help in a way that it got a lot of what I was holding on to off my chest, and it's sort of like I did felt. I did feel quite like fairly liberated, saying that um i there was someone who I could talk to who wouldn't say anything to anyone else, and whatever I said was gonna be sort of kept in like within those four walls.
1: how was it um you mentioned about like speaking to the management and work and stuff like How did you how did you find that and how did you approach them? Did you say to them that this has happened? This is what I'm going to do.
3: Uh, Yeah, it was one of these things where I obviously got given the dates and whatever, and I just went into the office after after one of my shifts, one during one of the mornings, and like the actual manager manager she was she was out somewhere, so it was like her number two. And another manager from one of the other sites um, were, were, were in the office. And I just said, look, can I have a quiet word with you, please? And they said, yeah, that's fine. Is it all right if the other guy – the other guy in here as well? And I said, yeah, if he wants to be. So I just literally just closed the door, sat down with him and just explained the whole situation to him and saying, look, not many people know about it, but just over three – like just over like four and a half, five years ago, my mum died of cancer. And within these past few weeks, I've not been mentally in the right frame of mind. Obviously, I was still coming to work, doing my job, and then that. But then, yeah, so I explained to him, saying, look, I've got this, these counseling sessions coming up. But depending on what time and when they are and when my shifts clash, I might need to have some time off just to go to them. Mm-hmm. And the assistant manager said, yeah, that's not a problem. Tell us when your counselling sessions are. Tell us when your shifts are on that day and we'll try and sort... Uh, uh, no, wouldn't wasn't trying to... She said that she'll sort it, sort it out so that if, for example, I was working the afternoon shift, she would make sure that I wasn't working that particular afternoon shift just so that I could go to the counselling sessions.
1: Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Cuz I think that's definitely one thing that I have always struggled with and like continue to as always well, like how do you approach people at work with that? Cuz you I mean for me I'm like oh but it's just going to make it awkward and they're going to not think that I can do my job the right way but at the end of the day people people do even if they don't understand like they can kind of understand um yeah. You know, like the need for it and where you're coming from, especially now with more conversation around like mental health and stuff. Um, I think it's getting easier, but still, it's not easy to approach people at work with that. So, I think you're really brave for just going in and being like, "This has happened. Yeah. This is what I need to do."
3: Yeah, it's like when, like when I was when it, when that all happened with Mum passing, wherever I was working in one of the local village pubs, and. After I finished crying that Saturday night, it was literally my my boss, Phil, who was the landlord at the time, he was, he was an absolute brilliant bloke to work for. Um, literally, he was the first person I rang just to let him know. And it was his wife, Judy, who picked up and obviously just explained to her that mum had died like an hour or so ago. And she was really nice about it. She said, like, Look, Chris, we're like really sorry to hear about it. Um, both Phil and I send our like love and regards to you and your family. And she said, look, take as much time as you offer as you need and come back when re- when you're ready.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And it's like I think people like when it comes to like telling people you work for, I think it's just you just need so like five minutes, five, ten minutes in a quiet room and just explain to him what's going on. And I think, I think generally most people would understand what you're going through to some degree and will probably try and help out as best they can.
0: Yeah, even, even the people that don't really know how to react, I think, when you tell them stuff like that, it's better to have, I think, you know, it's better to be an open book about it, especially when it comes to work. Than to close it off because, I think you're kind of risking more in that sense if you don't tell if you don't tell the people that you're spending the majority of your life with. I think that's dangerous for your mental health and also for your relationship with your employers, really, isn't it?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but then again, it's like it's one of these things where I, when it comes to sort of like telling people about what happened with mum. It's. I mean, I've always found that I usually, I usually tell people on a need to know basis. It's like.
2: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh.
4: Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss.
3: I don't really plan or I've not I've never really gone round my workplace (laughs) singing and dancing singing and dancing saying oh, please pity me, my mum's died. I'm, I've got one parent left in the world. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I think I think, I think definitely telling, telling some people about it, I think definitely will help. But I think mm-hmm. generally, mainly more on a need-to-know basis, really, just because you don't really want to sort of alienate the people you work with to think you're some kind of outcast for use of a better word
0: yeah yeah it's, it's interesting isn't it? because there are still some people in my life that like for example um a guy that comes in and out of our workplace um and who I've known now for a, about a year he didn't know about my mum dying which to me I was I don't know when it comes to the workplace I'm always a bit shocked because I think like I just, I think it's come to a point now where I just expect people to know. I think because I am so open about it, I'm always shocked when somebody else doesn't know that it's happened to me, I think.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: It's it's funny, but I think that's purely just because of how open I am about talking about it. And because everybody that I work with is very aware about it as well. So when he was like, Oh I didn't know, I was like, Oh wow, like interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just assumed <laughs> that
1: everyone knew that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Kind of becomes part of
1: your identity, I
0: suppose, doesn't it? Sam, so, we've talked about that before.
1: Yeah, it does for us because we literally fly fly the DPC flag <laughs> every day. <laughs> literally um, like, every day. <laughs> yeah. The reason, though, Chris, that we both got a bit excited when you said "cruise oh, freedom, yeah. and it wasn't like it wasn't like "oh my god, yay!" like counsellors <laughs> It was so we, when. Kat was on BBC Radio Nottingham. Uh, she was actually joined by a lady called Jo from Cruise Bereavement, um, and but they absolutely love the podcast. And since then, they've been in touch, and I think Cat's gonna actually go and speak at one of their workshops. Is that right, Cat? Yeah, I
4: am.
0: This is
3: turning into a really, really small fucking world. I tell you now. I
1: know.
0: <laughs> How mental is that? Yeah, so exciting. So yeah that'll be that'll be in Nottingham as well um one of their Nottingham offices and stuff. Yeah I'm really looking forward to that actually so that's going to be in the next like 3 months.
1: So you mentioned Chris about your um about like speaking to your dad and stuff. How were your friends when this all happened?
3: I th- I think I think all of them are really shocked about what had happened I mean especially for me I mean I was I i been playing rugby for like, the local local team for since I was 11 I mean obviously in the year to, in the, run up, the year running up to mum passing it was like my final season but especially with like the rugby lot because she was like yeah, you know, means and juniors fixture secretary for about three years I think it was mm-hmm. and most like pretty much the whole Winscombe Rugby Club family were just like literally in probably the bit as much shock as we were because just because of how much work she did behind the scenes and whatever and and yeah and all my schoolmates were shocked and I mean luckily enough there's still a, like a handful of them I'm still really close to and like we're all in a WhatsApp group and just like messaging other every now and again just having a, having a few laughs and taking the piss out of each other as you do
1: did it change their way that they treated you or anything around the time or was it pretty did they or did they just I mean did they acknowledge it or did they pretend it wasn't happening
3: I think I think a few of them did did sort of acknowledge it and I think it was I think it's one of those things where I might have mentioned it in like in a Catch up over a few drinks to say, look, yes, I know my mum's died, but I don't want any special treatment. I just want to be that same bloke that I was before this all happened. Just because I think the one thing that I didn't want to happen was everyone to give me some some form of special treatment and make me feel really uncomfortable.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, but yeah, it's like, I've not seen him for a while, but it's just one of those things where it's like, whenever I do meet up with them, it's, I think they do sort of know in the back of the minds, he's still a bit fragile, but at the same time, it's like, he's still one of the lads. He needs us as much as we need him.
0: Yeah. yeah. Do they ask you, like, relatively often, like, how you are?
3: Yeah, and I think I think subconsciously it was one of those things where I probably did need people checking up on me just to, just to see how I am, how I'm yeah. getting on, and just to try and keep me grounded, really.
0: Yeah, I think the people that ask you if you're okay, I don't think they realise just how important they are in your life at yeah, the time, like. Yeah a simple message being like you know like how are you doing it can really mean so much can't it
3: yeah it's yeah it's just one thing yeah especially if, if it's just like to say like me and a couple of mates are going down to the pub do you want to come with yeah. even like just that, even even like that small gesture of social inclusion as much as it probably doesn't seem that big a thing now but in a time like that it's probably the biggest thing ever. Just because one, it means that there's there's still there's people still thinking about you. And two, even if it's for what hour and a half, two hours, it gives you sort of your mind a break of what's just gone on.
1: Yeah, it
3: keeps you distracted.
1: Yeah, definitely, I agree. Because so many times people can assume. That oh no, their pet, their mum's just died. The dad's just died. They're not going to want to come and spend time with us, or they're not going to want to go for a drink. But I mean, really, we probably need it more than ever. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like, especially like with the rugby community. It was one of those things where, yes, I played, like played like once once a week every Sunday, Sunday morning, and trained once twice a week during the week, but it was. Especially with the rug, with the rugby lot, it was more like a—you're part of a brotherhood,
4: mm-hmm.
3: and that's what sort of that sentiment of like, sort of like, leave no man behind. Because, Aww. and yeah, it's funny enough. I mean, at the at the at the ground where I played, um, it was like owned by a local school, and we sort of like used it. As, as part of an agreement, and they had, they, on the mm-hmm. main pitch, they had like new floodlights installed. And like the real, like the, the biggest, there's it was, it was a really kind touch, I mean, by both the rugby club and the local school, where they actually had a minute's silence in memory of mum. Oh, wow. And it's like um, a guy called John, I mean, I played with his boy James, he was saying that. Like, to, to me and my dad, um, I think it was a couple of weeks after it happened, it's like most of the people who were there probably hadn't a clue whom, who mum was or what she did for the rugby club. But it was just, like, the sentiment behind it saying, like, this is a woman who put a lot of time into helping run this club when it comes to, like, the minis and juniors. We want oh. to show, like, pay her like, pay respects to her. What she did for us when it's like when 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 John told told me and my dad that I just wanted to break down in tears again just because yeah. it was like they didn't have to do it but they did out of, out of a mark of respect for mum.
1: Yeah, I I um, feel that sentiment of like the rugby community as well because my dad was a a huge rugby player in every sense of the word huge and like, just a, <laughs> a massive rugby fan as well so you should definitely if you get a chance you should head down to the um to the new York rugby club as well when you get there Chris yeah I think my I'm not sure if my I think they might have moved it now so they've like they've just had like a um a renovation of the clubhouse but there was um there was actually a picture of my dad on the wall in the changing rooms with like a inspirational oh, quote next to it yeah but like we felt that like they also did um a minute silence for us and it's just like i just remember that like because were you there at the time when they did the minute silence because for me i i mean i found it like everyone was everyone was silent and then there was just like me my and my sister's just sobbing <laughs> that's all you could hear <laughs> you know,
4: like, unfortunately,
3: I, I was i was i was elsewhere doing what i can't remember but it was one of those things where when when John was telling 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 us about it, it was one of those things where I I so wished I was there just to experience what it was what it, what it what, what it would have felt like.
1: Yeah, it's just overwhelming when people like with people that are outside of your family and stuff and yeah, just little things like that. People don't realise how much of an impact it actually makes. Yeah.
3: And it's like when I started going back to work at the pub. I mean, quite a few of the regulars knew I'd been doled by my boss and I had such a warm welcome back to um, the pub. And I think that definitely helped the transition, coming back, having having time off work to, to have mum's funeral back down in the village we were living in. But then, obviously, she's buried... In the churchyard in the village, where not only were she was born, my aunt was born and raised. Her older sister. It's also like the church where her and my dad got married, and where both me and my sister got christened when we were when we were small children. Wow! And it's like I think it's sort of it's come it's sort of come full circle. Admittedly quite a few years too soon, but it's just like knowing that she's sort of at peace in the village where she spent most of her childhood and her upbringing, it sort of makes it easy to think that it might just get a bit easier to deal with for the rest of us.
0: What kind of things do, do you... um? Incorporate into your life now to kind of, kind of like protect yourself from getting into that same getting into that same low point that you were at a few years ago.
3: Uh, I mean, I, I just take every day as it comes. Really, um, I think I like to think I've sort of mellowed out a bit, or mellowed out a bit more having such an experience happen at such an early stage of my life. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's yeah, I mean I every time I wake up I'm just I just I'm just thankful that I made it through the night and I just think to myself look today's a new day, I'll see where it goes if if it's if it's gonna be a good day, happy days if it's a bad day, sort of try and get through it and then try and think about one, Why was it a bad day? Two, how did it affect me? And three, how do I try and change the parameters, so to speak, of okay, I've had a bad day, how do I make it happen where I don't have another bad day, and how do I try and make myself a better person because of it?
0: Yeah. Do you think you've become kind of like more self aware of like of like your feelings and what makes you feel good and what makes you feel bad and stuff?
3: Yeah, definitely. I think it's definitely brought us all together, close as to a family, when it comes to like sort of like talking about how we're feeling, or whatever. And yeah, if I am feeling a bit, a bit shit and a bit worse for wear, I mean, I normally just text my sister and saying, "Look, I'm feeling a bit crap. This is the reason why I don't really want." an answer to it I just want someone to talk to and just like so I just want someone to sort of vent my feelings to someone and just allow me mm-hmm. to get it off my chest
1: I think that's really underrated just have like I've the amount of times I have to say to people that don't don't try and make this better I don't want you to to give me some kind of spiel that you think is going to make me feel better I just want you to listen
3: yeah and I, I, and I think we need more people like that it's like I remember seeing something online, like a quote by someone saying that most people listen and listen to respond, or like something. Yeah, so like yeah. lines of they try and think of something to to answer with, rather than like I just want you just to be quiet and allow me just to say what I need to, and I don't want to. I don't want you to say anything. I just want you to listen. Yeah. And just be that someone where I can just talk to and vent whatever I'm feeling is towards. And
1: Yeah, I think, isn't it something like um, people listen to respond rather than listen to understand?
3: Mm, that is it. Yeah. And it's like it, it, if more people listened to understand rather than listen to respond, I think it would make everyone who is in the same boat as us three and everyone else who's listening, it would make the whole world a better place.
1: (laughs) You're so around. (laughs) We're changing the world right now.
3: Yeah, one one podcast at a time. (laughs) (laughs) We're starting a
1: revolution. Yeah, yeah, we are. (laughs) And we're taking over Newark. Definitely. <laughs> oh. So what would you say, Chris, to someone that is going through what you've been through? What advice would you give?
3: The advice I would give was from one of the regulars in the pub and thankfully Touchwood she's in remission herself from having a cancer scare within the past eighteen months. It turned out that she'd lost both her parents fairly on in life. I think she was. I think she lost a second parent when in her late teens Mm -hmm. and spent most of her life without parents. And she said to me, which I can. I will always carry with me for the rest of my life, is that time doesn't heal. It never will do. It's just. As time goes on, you just learn to deal with the pain a tiny bit better every single day and it's like what I found is like there's there was a girl who I knew who worked at the airport as well and like myself lost her mother fairly early on like within like early twenties and whatever and I said to her like the exact same thing like I said to her like there there'll be people who will tell you that time's a healer." It isn't, and you just learn how to deal with the pain a little bit better every day. And, yeah, it's like the pain's still there, but it's been there for just over the past eight years. But if you're comparing how I'm feeling now to when my dad told me that mum had died, it's like I'm dealing with it a lot better than... Or, or a lot better than what I would than what I would have thought, like this time eight eight years ago.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's the biggest thing that um, I really struggle to get other people to understand that haven't been through it is that like you're never going to get over it, and
4: yeah.
1: I think I say this most of the time now when I speak to people like yourself and you know, anyone that's been in the DPC longer than me and Catherine have that it's so like refreshing to hear that I mean eight years down the line ten years down the line mm. like, you're still going to feel those feelings like it's still going to affect you because so often people I get the impression that people are like oh god her dad died four years ago she can get over it you're never you're never going to but yeah, you're right. Know, it does get easier.
3: And I think people like that who say, "Oh, pull yourself together." I think people like that need a uh, I need a smack in the face of the steel chair. Just because, <laughs> in what I mean, yes, it, yes, it may, it may sound a bit violent, but it's like, <laughs> in,
4: in what way
3: do you? How, in what way would you understand what I'm feeling like? It's like. Yeah, this pain I've been carrying around will never go away. It it won't lessen. It won't lessen in any way, but it will always be there. I mean, there'll be days where I don't feel it as much, but then there'll be other days where it feel it. It will feel like it happened just last night.
4: Yeah.
0: Sometimes the grief just hits you like a truck, doesn't it, out of nowhere.
3: Yeah, it's like yeah, you you you'd be, you be like having the best day ever, and then next minute, bang, you this crumpled mess of emotion, and yeah.
1: I so get that. I have just one quick question, Chris, from a uh, because I think me and Cat always talk about it from a um, a girl's perspective. But do you? I mean, do you have a partner?
3: No, I've I've not dated for well over a decade and some of me thinks it probably would have helped if I had like someone there for me, like like a, like a partner or whatever. But, but then at the same time, it's like, I'm not sure if I would have wanted someone there just because I probably wouldn't find, find the right words, the right tone of voice to talk to them, talk to them about it. So it's, it's a bit of like a double-edged sword, really. Like on, on one hand, I sort of needed my own space and my own time to try and fully understand what had happened and what I was feeling. But then on the other hand, I wish I had someone there just so that I could have a shoulder to cry on and just have that someone to sort of be that person I can just talk to about what I'm feeling, what I'm going through.
0: I think building new relationships with people after you've, you've been through so much trauma and stuff, I think it can be really difficult because you kind of learn to be by yourself a lot, I think, when you've been grieving.
4: yeah,
0: Like, you have to, you have to learn how to survive by yourself. And I think then letting somebody else into that safe space that you've created for yourself can be really daunting and really difficult and not something that you particularly look for anymore.
3: Yeah, I think it's just one of those things where it's like, I think I've created such, I of like a fairly tall wall around myself when it comes to sort of like being on my own. I think if I were to sort of like let someone in, they'd have to be so special that being with them would make me, like being without them would be very difficult to live if this is making any sense
0: you don't want to settle anymore you want the best of the best it's like having like
3: being with that one person would make you want to be with them rather than being on your own yeah if that makes sense yeah,
4: yeah
0: exactly so, like, yes,
3: absolutely they'd have, to be, they'd, they'd have to be those like pretty damn special to me to for, for me to allow them into my sort of like my own personal space and Allow them to try and understand what I've been through and hopefully that doesn't scare them enough for them to run away.
0: Yeah. Preach. I feel yeah.
4: 100 percent
3: Yeah. yeah. I, mean, that, I think that's my biggest fear about this whole dating game, is like, yes, I want to be honest and upfront with them, but then at what at what point do I say do I tell them look. My mum's my mom's dead. I've only got one parent living
1: now. Mm. That's one thing that I might because I'm actually grateful now that I have like the podcast to because that's almost my seg like, like my like segue into talking about it. If people like you know if you're if you're like just meeting someone or whatever, and they're like oh they're asking you what you do, and then I say about the podcast, and that leads me onto it. But otherwise, I don't know how I would say it. I do. Because I still do find it difficult to to say to people when you first met them, or especially if it like someone that you know, if you're. it
3: I mean, like... comes back to the point like that we were talking about earlier when we like talking about how to tell like management at work. It's like I think sometimes it's you sort of like have to play in such a way where do I tell them? Don't I tell them? Do I need to tell them on a need-to-know basis?
1: Yeah, tricky. I don't know if I don't know if there'll ever be a right answer to that. To be honest, yeah. like you say, just, um, how you feel at the time. Does this person need to know? And do you feel I spell like? Do you feel do you feel like this person's gonna react well when you say it? Because I think I always think about how people are gonna react when I tell them. If there is the best
3: time to tell them, I think it's probably like after. Like, after you've been seeing, seeing each other for a while, you've sort totally of got comfortable with each other. And I think that may be like the best time to say, Look, I think it's safe to say that we're comfortable with each other. I've got some news for you.
1: Yeah, I'm part of this club.
3: Yeah, the part of the stuff which I didn't really want to be a part of, but it no. turns out that I am.
1: Well, the thing is for
0: me is that the way that that person will react to me telling them, will then have a massive effect on whether I actually fancy them or not. <laughs> so yeah. If they react in a really shit way, then I'm going to be like, well, you're shit. What's the point?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Kat's the kind of person, Chris, that will literally they'll be like, hi, I'm Kat, my mum's dead. Yeah. Like, straight yeah. in. I'm I'm very, I would obviously, obviously don't quite
0: literally do that. However, once an opportunity arises where I can say it, I'll get it out of the way and that'll be done. And then I, won't, yeah. I won't, won't have to make a big kind of deal around it. And it's also because once I've done that, if I didn't want to mention, mention anything about my mum in that conversation, then I can bring it up without being like, oh God, but they don't know that she's dead yet. Like, do you know? Yeah. So I'm, I'm very much on that, like, right, I'm going to meet this person, tell them as soon as the opportunity arises and then that'll be it. <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, like, it just highlights doesn't it like as well like doing this podcast always highlights to me how yeah we all have so many similarities in how we deal with it and the situations that we end up in but again one of the main reasons that we did this was to prove that everyone is different yeah like yeah exactly everyone has different ways so
0: exactly Rooney.
1: there is no rule book Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Uh, Chris, before we wrap up, is there anything that um, you that you wanted to say that you haven't been able to say yet?
3: Um, I think it's just... When I heard about you guys on the radio, I just thought, you know what? I want to give these guys a lesson to because it's something that I've been through and I just wanted to sort of get a different perspective from people who I don't know. Mm. And... Like no offense, I'll probably I'll, I'll probably never meet you two in my lifetime. I and mean, as much as I'd like to, just because of the experiences that we've all, that we've all shared together, like losing a parent, I think it's just it's quite nice and refreshing just to try and get my story out there, and yeah. hopefully try and help at least one person who's going through the same battle that we're going through and just hopefully make them aware that they're not alone. There are other people out there and we all just want to help each other try and get through this crazy game that we call life.
1: But also, never say never, Chris. You never know, we'll bump into each other on a night out in Newark. We might
3: even meet up at that pub opposite Boys, which has just painted itself blue.
1: Oh yeah, Belums. <laughs> we, yeah.
0: we do have aspirations to organise like meetups and stuff, and there are a lot of people that have come on to this onto this podcast that are from
1: Newark um, They yeah. actually are surprisingly.
0: I mean, yeah.
1: I'm
3: that sort of person where give me a time, give me a date, give me a location. <laughs>
4: if,
3: if I've got that day, if I've got the day after off, I am there faster than the flash. <laughs> honestly if you guys can can like organize something either Newark or Nottingham or wherever I will try and get the time off work or whatever and I'll def- I'm definitely up for it no. oh
4: thank oh.
0: you well we would literally love nothing more that's definitely it's on our agenda we spoke about it in our uh in our aims for this year didn't we Sam so we absolutely did, yeah.
3: And I've got yeah. to say, I mean, you guys can can, can show me the, the the likes and sounds of Newark at night.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> if I Just make some- it <laughs> out properly without passing out at some point, yeah,
4: <laughs> <laughs> I'd
1: love to. <laughs> also, you should definitely go to the rugby club. Drop drop the drop the Ben Vidler bomb, and then you'll start conversations with everyone.
3: Bye-bye. Oh, sound yeah. I definitely try, definitely try and get to the
1: rugby club at some point. You should do big time. It's so like, and like everyone is so nice down there. I mean, like they are in any rugby club. Like, yeah. so welcoming. Just fantastic. Aww. Yeah. Oh, well, again, we could literally, every single time I do a pod, I'm like, oh, I could talk all day. Chris, again, thank you so, so much. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Pleasure's me.
3: Um, thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure and, yeah, just can't thank you enough.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this week's DPC podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have and have found some comfort in the stories that
1: you've heard today. If you've resonated with anything we've said, have any questions or want to get involved, please do contact us. We're on Instagram. It's at DPC podcast. You can email us on DPC at hotmail.com. Or we have a contact form on our website, www.dpcpodcast.co.uk. We have a whole
0: bunch of resources over on our website. More information about dealing with grief, losing
1: a parent and professionals to contact if you should need it. Because as Kat so eloquently said in our first podcast, we're not providing healthcare, we're just chatting kids. <laughs> If you think this podcast could help someone, then we would love for you to share it. We upload new podcasts every week, so make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. Loads of love from Sam and Kat. See you next Tuesday.
2: Nailed it. Nailed it. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer.